On this episode of Nurses' Voices, we'll be talking with two nurses about their experience with racism in nursing and in healthcare, and about their efforts to advocate for nurses and for the public to make healthcare and society more equitable and inclusive. This is Nurses' Voices. Nurses' Voices is sponsored by Pfizer Canada. It is supported by the Canadian Nurses Foundation and the Canadian Nurses Association. Welcome to Nurses' Voices. I'm Gail Donner. And I'm Mary Wheeler. The pandemic has raised all of our awareness of unresolved issues and problems within the healthcare system, in our communities, and in our profession. Recently, nurses of color and Indigenous nurses have raised their voices to help us learn about their experiences and hear their solutions for creating a more equitable society and a more inclusive and equitable profession. In episode four, we heard from Danas Silliboy and his experience with racism as an Indigenous nurse. In this episode, we're going to continue the discussion about racism and hear the lived experiences of two nurses and learn about their important advocacy. Welcome to Nurses' Voices, Angela Achoba Omajali and Janice John Mitchell. Angela has a BSCN and an MN from Thompson Rivers University and has been working as a registered nurse for over 10 years, largely in mental health and substance use as part of the assertive community treatment team with Interior Health Authority in BC. She is currently in a temporary seconded position as steward at large with the British Columbia Nurses Union. Additionally, Angela is one of the co-founders of the Coalition of African, Caribbean, and Black Nurses in British Columbia. Janice is a registered nurse in certified practice in BC. She began her nursing career 18 years ago in her home country of Trinidad and Tobago and has been practicing nursing in Canada for 12 years. Janice has an honors BA and an honors MBA, is a business owner, entrepreneur, and holds leadership positions within her community. Janice is also active in the Coalition of African, Caribbean, and Black Nurses in British Columbia. So racism is a complex and a very difficult issue to discuss. So Angela, I'm going to start with the big question for you, and then Janice will be your way in as well. Can you tell us a little bit about your own experience with racism? Thank you, Gail. I'm happy to be here. I'd like to begin with uh, acknowledging that I'm joining today from the traditional unceded territories of the Tukunusti Sukwetmek within Sukwetmekulu. And as an immigrant, very grateful to call this land my home, where I live, work, and play with my family. I think it's important for us to give recognition to those who were here before us, and this is just what I'm doing. I've worked for over 10 years as a registered nurse here in BC. I can share so many examples of my experiences of racism, unfortunately, anti-Black racism to be specific. But I think for the sake of looking back a little bit, but with the goal of moving forward, I'll only share maybe a couple of examples where in one case, where I was working as a frontline nurse, I was attempting to provide care to a patient and they said, no, I don't want you to care for me. Do not touch me because your skin is so dark, it will stain my skin. I've had situations where 
the management has had to protect me from caring for certain clients because they've made it explicitly clear that they do not want care from that black nurse. Candice, can you talk a little bit about your experience? I want to first also acknowledge I am privileged to be on the unceded territory of the post-Silish people. My own experience on racism range from being abused physically, assaulted, to very minute, subtle, and these came in nitpicking, it came in harassment, it came in allegations to doing things when I was not even present at work. It's complex for me. And one of my issues with the reporting system is that there's no support. There's a lot of bureaucracy and the language behind racism. How can we prove that racism? And so we have to find another way of reporting what we're experiencing by way of saying it's harassment, nitpicking, or I claim some sort of mental injury or a physical injury. Now, these injuries that the nurses face goes on to become physical. Some may say somatic because they don't, they don't believe us. But in reporting, there is no support in the system as to how to report because there's a written line when reporting. Sometimes that line borders on respectful workplace. So when someone is reporting, it may become a respectful workplace issue. And then the people who are taking the information, they are not trained. Mm-hmm. And many of them feel themselves, if they are not of African or African descent, they feel that you are generating something towards them. And in response, they defend and further attack you. Just as Janice was talking, I got thinking about, besides the fact that there's mental and physical impact of racism, anxiety, stomach anxiety is something that is a real thing, you know, believe it or not. I've experienced that myself when I was, you know, experiencing a very difficult time. I think it happened about 10 years ago and I, I would call in sick to work because I'd rather just stay home for the sake of my mental health and my physical well-being than to deal with a certain situation at work related to racism. The fact that a lot of times when you look at the reporting structure for workplace bullying and harassment, as Janice rightly said, not only is it missing the key piece on anti-racism itself, but a lot of times when you look on the other side, the people who are receiving these reports do not have a lived experience, do not have training, do not have anything that they can provide to support. And what this does is it places so much burden on the, the person who's already victimized to prove racism, to, to endure the entire process where a lot of times our members on the coalition, they've said to us, they've been exhausted with the process. And what they decide to do is to just step away or resign. And this is not a healthy thing. We need to see that changing. We are exhausted fighting for this every day, but also going through a process where This racism is deeply rooted in the system. We need that changed. I know that very recently, as of last year, there's a couple of health authorities that came up with what we call, what they call the anti-racism policy. I think that's a great first step, but it's only a very tiny step in the direction that we're hoping things will go. I'm just listening to you and and thinking a little bit also of some other colleagues. And part of what you're identifying is for so long, it wasn't actually named. But the fact that it is and was in in your experiences, racism 
was never, that was not the complaint and that wasn't raised. And I think what we're learning now, hopefully, as a country, as a society, is that we have to call it what it is. And number two, we have to look at how it's pervasive in the system. Yeah, if I can just comment as you're speaking, Gil, it's making me think about one of the responses we got from a respondent when we conducted a survey and one-to-one meetings and focus groups where we, we actually published an open letter on November, November 24th, 2021, which happened to actually be the exact same day as the first ever summit on uh, racism in nursing and healthcare put on by the CNB. It was a deliberate lunch on that day because we wanted to make sure that, hey, BC, these things are happening. They've been happening for a long time. We shouldn't have to prove it. We shouldn't have to release an open letter, but you know what? Here you go. Here's the open letter. And in that letter, we provided 25 recommendations entirely based on findings from our respondents. One of the respondents who had experienced racism at work went through the process of reporting through workplace bullying and harassment. And this respondent shared with us, and we have a permission to share this, but they said when they reported it to the health authority through that workplace bullying and harassment process, the person on the receiving end said, I think you're overreacting in Canada. This is not what that person intended. And as we know, intention Uh-oh. does not matter, right? So what I'm telling you now is very painful to share because at this point, that member of our coalition has actually left that health authority. She decided to resign for the sake of her mental health and her physical well-being. So these are some of the things that we're very, very concerned about as a coalition. I'm listening to both of you and I'm trying to understand why is there such a struggle in the workplace to accept what you are saying? I always say it's support, support and lack of training. Whether or not it's racism, whether or not it's harassment, we are in a field where we provide support. And whatever person state is, especially when we're talking about pain, and if I'm saying that this is how I feel, mm-hmm. there should be a support system to facilitate that person so anyone else can listen and see how they can work with this person in order for them to have a better working environment, less hostile environment, an environment that is more severe. We have so much incivility in the workplace. I am thinking it's a lack of support. If we have the number one thing as support, we would go from there. Yeah. Describe the same thing we would say about any patient or client. If the patient says, I feel such and such. Yeah. You can't say, no, you don't. Yeah. That's what they feel. That's the core of the nursing practice. Yeah. If I can add, if I can add to that, you know, Janice has said it, support is huge. In my experience, and again, with respondents' feedback, we get significant response from our nurses within the front line. However, I'd like to see that support expanded towards leadership positions and senior leadership. The only way that that can begin to happen is to make sure that there's people that look like myself and Janice in those positions. Mm-hmm. There's people with lived experiences in those positions. They are true yeah. allies, true allies in those positions. I, I recognize we have great leaders. We, we have leaders that are very committed to anti-racism efforts as well. But 
I mean, let's be honest here. If you have a leadership team, which is 99% predominantly white and you're a black person at work and you have something you'd like to share, not only are you carrying that burden by yourself, but you can expect that you're going in blindly. You don't understand perhaps where to begin with this because you don't have that support structure, that support system at the top of the senior leadership team. Even at the front line, we have colleagues that are very reluctant. They would rather just be quiet. So when you don't speak, when you don't speak, you support it. So if we have our nursing colleagues seeing how badly, say, for example, how badly Janice is being treated and they just quiet because they're all comfortable and they've got all these comfortable experiences at work. Meanwhile, Janice has a toxic experience at work. That's not okay. That needs to change. We all have a part to play in this mentally racist systems. It's a system. It's not a matter of, oh, it's one person. Let's deal with that person. No, if you're silent, you're part of the problem and that needs to change. I think important is also people have to look like you everywhere in the system. But I keep thinking as you're talking, if this is experiences you've had, we already know patients are in even less powerful places. It must be even worse. So all the more important that not only do frontline staff see uh, nurses of color or nurses who look like them everywhere, but also for patients, I would think they'd want to see a manager who looks like them as well, someone in authority. Mm. Yes, of course. They would love to see that. And even, you know, even before we get up to the management position, for instance, if I can give a quick example, I, as, uh, as somebody who accesses healthcare for my children, because I have two children, I cannot tell you how many times I've gone to the ER and back again because my son's rash was misdiagnosed. In nursing schools, there isn't enough teaching on dark skin and how to diagnose, you know, pathological <laughs> manifestations on dark skin. And again, I, I'll speak to this later on. And one of the recommendations we put in our open letter about the need to include that in curriculum in the syllabi for schools of nursing across BC and across Canada, indeed, because you can go to the hospital so many times if you want, but if they're not taught in nursing school, how to diagnose darker skin, then you're left with the burden. I've had to really do my own research before I take my son into the ER to say, okay, I think it might be this. And even with that, they look at you and go, what do you know? And they have to go back a second time. And sometimes it's unfortunate. Sometimes I have to say, I'm actually an RN too, and I work here too, or I work in healthcare system too. So here are my thoughts. And sometimes it has a little bit of weight, but not all the time. And I shouldn't have to do that. Uh, Janice, did you have anything you wanted to add to what Angela was saying? So when we bring up any instability in the workplace, whether it is with a client, patient, or with our staff, and more so with our staff, we expect them to have a level of understanding how to deal with people from a diverse culture and it doesn't require them necessarily to know the nitty grit of everyone's culture, but it requires them to be culturally aware so that they can provide cultural awareness. And part of that is acknowledging the person within their diversity. And if they are managers who have different cultures on a unit, they should encourage group activities that could allow these groups to know each other, maybe a potluck 
get them talking about food, get them talking about the culture. Because one thing I experienced when coming here, it's different mannerism, the way each of body and of face would express certain things and the way in which the body of a Canadian would express certain things. For example, coming from my culture, someone tells me something I know already, I will say yes. But I've noticed in the culture here, if I don't say I know already, or I'm aware of that, that means I don't know. You have that feeling your colleagues are looking down at you, speaking condescending to you, no matter what, even though you would train here as well, or um, do an extra course here as well. It's like, they still know more than you. Oh, good for you, the person that came from the Africa, came from the Caribbean. <laughs> good for you for a black person. This is so great. And um, it's, to me, it's unacceptable, but I, I still have to find that calmness and peace within myself, not to come out and say, listen, totally, totally not right. You always have to keep a little step back behind, take the baby tones, not the assertive tones. And if we're assertive and our voice voices are less fine, then we are categorized in being loud. Well, you're talking about marginalizing, and if we're going to address marginalizing, whether it's nurses of color or patients, uh, then we better start early on in the education of uh, the professionals and maybe even schools generally. Here you've identified and addressed some serious problems. I wonder if we could start to talk a little bit about the coalition. What are some of the things you're hoping the coalition can accomplish? The Coalition of African Caribbean Black Nurses, we, myself, Dr. Jifa Dordenu, Eshmale D'Souza, Natanya Abebe, and Kira Filbert, we co-founded this coalition in 2020 uh, as a response to anti-Black racism. Our overarching goal is to see a healthcare system that is more equitable for nurses who are working in that system, African Caribbean Black nurses working in the system, but also African Caribbean Black communities in DC. That's our ultimate goal. The coalition has been very vocal, especially in the media, on a number of matters. For example, uh, Ishmaela D'Souza, who is a UBC PhD student, worked together with UBC last year to talk about the invisibility of Black nurses in DC. I don't know how much you know about Black nurses in BC, but there's, there's been very little published or even in the media about Black nurses who are pioneers in the, in the healthcare system here in BC. There are Black nurses out there, and I'm going to make sure that I share the link with you, Gail and Mary, for others to view and see that work that Ishmael was doing. In addition, we've had Dr. Jifa Dordenu speaking about, uh, in a video that was put out uh, in collaboration with the CNA, on the need to collect race-based data as a first step to addressing anti-Black racism. I think that's a big one. I, I, I cannot, we've tried, we've looked, there isn't any race-based data collection happening right now, and we'd like to see that. That is one of the recommendations we made in an open letter, which we sent out last year. We actually, as a coalition, we put our surveys and we had one-to-one -one meetings and focus group with respondents where we 
basically asked questions around, you know, experiences of racism and racial discrimination in the healthcare system from our nurses, our African Caribbean black nurses. And unfortunately, there was an overwhelming response. Not surprising, but very disappointing that this is still happening, especially to that magnitude. I'll give you an example of some of our findings. One of the respondents has shared that before the pandemic, when they handled a clipboard, you know, the clipboards we use for nursing rounds or what have you, the other colleagues would not touch that clipboard because a black nurse had used it. Yes. Yes. We had this in our open letter. We have another situation where a, a member of a respondent who was a, a member in academia, despite going through all ethics approval process and having ethics approval for their work, they could not move forward because, again, systemic racism within the university had really suppressed their work. And as you know, these have mental and physical impacts on our members, to say the least. I could go on and on, but I'd like to really take an opportunity to talk about the fact that we, we gather this information, but we also have recommendations of what we'd like to see in various systems. When we addressed this open letter, it was addressed to key stakeholders. We addressed it to the BC Premier. We addressed it to the BC Ministry of Health. Uh, universities across BC, nursing union, nursing associations within BC. And I'm happy to share with you that we actually got a lot of feedback and also we're actually having some consultation and dialogue and discussions with some of these key stakeholders who have responded, including the Ministry of Health, which I think is great. And we're hoping that we can continue this work. The recommendations we put out, there's 25 of them. So of course, I'm not going to go over all of those recommendations here, but I'd like to highlight Maybe a couple, if that's okay. Yeah, uh, please. And I know earlier on, we were speaking about when I shared about my son and how he's three. So, you know, a three-year-old having a rash concerns a mom, right? And I've taken him to the ER, like I said, and he's been misdiagnosed a few times. You know, there is a, a Zimbabwean-born uh, medical student in the UK. His name is Malone Mukwende. And he co-authored as a medical student, in addition to two professors in his university, it's called Mind the Gap. It has a visual display of manifestations, pathological manifestations of what skin rashes could look like and all that on darker skin. So the chicken pox and basic rashes. In our open letter, I think it's, I want to say number 23 of the 25 recommendations. <laughs> uh, we have it on there that we would like to see that included in nursing schools in their career. Mm-hmm. In addition, I would like to share on here as well that we would like to see that in libraries across health authorities. We know there's so many nurses who've been in nursing. I mean, they've been nursing for 38 years and so many years that may not have the opportunity to pause and, you know, enroll into any form of education around that, but we'd love for them to have a chance and access to this resource. It's easy to just go online and download that resource to support our nurses. And in fact, not just nurses, physicians, and everybody who's involved in caring for African, Caribbean, and Black people to become more aware and more equipped with what they need to provide the right diagnosis. Another point I'd like to pull from our letter is, I want to say number three or number five, but both of them are quite related. It has to do with the workplace environment reporting structure that we talked about. As we know, there's several gaps in the workplace environment process. We'd like to see something created where perhaps a chief equity officer who... Again, I would prefer for it to be somebody who has lived experience or at least is someone who can you know, identify with some of the things that we bring forward or put forward so that there should be some sort of reporting process for experiences of racism, be it a patient or a nurse or whoever is accessing care, right? So we'd like to see those things implemented in health authorities and schools of nursing. My expectations for the coalition 
is to have that overall support and to bring all other groups together and then disseminate. I prefer a more decentralized system. The Nissan Coalition would be the one engaging in the affairs of governance and gathering information from all of us and taking whatever they need from anywhere within all the different groups to gather on their policy making and public engagement, engagement with the government, engagement with the health authorities and other regulatory bodies in order to continue making a safe place for nurses. Because what we experience as a marginalized group is that one person may be alone in an entire department or in a building or in a region, and there is no way some of them feel comfortable to speak out or to seek that help. If you're talking about systemic racism, then you have to have systemic interventions and you have to be present in the whole system, not just in your little part of the system. That's how I'm interpreting uh, it, what you're saying. And if I can just add to that, as Janice was speaking, I was just thinking about there's so much we've done in two years or in less than two years, I'll be honest. It's been a lot of work, but sometimes when I pick up my laptop at night, my daughter says, what are you doing? I said, um, to racism work. And she goes, oh, mommy, you're always doing that racism. I'm like, yep. Well, as long as I live and as long as you live, I hope that it's done before your time. But this is why we're doing this is because we were born into this and we're hoping that it would be turned around to be a positive experience for our children's sake, at least. One of the things that we've done as well is partnerships. We've been doing partnership and consultation work with, with the CNA, where we're working together to uh, put together a national uh, organization that is made up of African Caribbean and Black nurses across Canada. So that would be made up of associations in Ontario and Saskatchewan, different provinces together. So we're doing that work right now. We've done some partnership uh, and consultancy work as well with the African Art and Cultural Community Contributor. We did work with them to put out some recommendations to action plan in recognition of the International Decade for People of African Descent, the ID pad. One of the, the things that I'm proud to share is that the action plan is ready and has been put out. Um, another thing we've also been doing is partnering with Black Physicians of uh, BC, as well as Federation of Black Canadians, because we want to make sure that, you know, again, this is all systemic. We want to make sure that we're, you know, kind of integrated into all the systems and all the, the different areas to make sure we're providing that support to our community, African-Caribbean Black community, and also our nurses within the coalition. What has been the response like? So far, since, especially since we put out the open letter in November of last year, we've received a significant response. So as I'm speaking to you right now, we've been in conversation with some universities in BC. Okay. We've started a conversation with the Ministry of Health, which I think is great. And we're going to continue that work to make sure that the recommendations that Again, I'll, I'll make note that these recommendations were earlier shared actually with the BC Premier through a different anti-racism initiative, just making sure that we reinforce that in that letter to send it to all these key stakeholders. We've received that response. We're continuing to receive responses. We're getting the responses we want to see. We would like to see more, more efforts where part of those recommendations we've sent out are being implemented. We don't want it to just be all talk. We're made up of a great team of members that are committed to this. And we will continue until we see 
at least these 25 recommendations and many more implemented within the healthcare system, within nursing associations, schools of nursing, and various sectors uh, within BC. What do you need to tell people like Gail and I? What do we need to do? We need to start with education, and that means starting with awareness, Mm -hmm. letting people know that this does exist. And that awareness starts with education. And I said to Angela one day, how about a coalition reach out for community engagement in the schools? This thing is a profession of caring. We work in the community. Our first role is primary prevention, which begins in the community. And it has a lot to do with mental health. So for Black History Month, I asked my manager last year for the first time if I can do a segment each week. You need to involve the people of African and African descent. And also you need to reach out Mm -hmm. and to, you know, recognize. Another tier is that we need to report. So Mm -hmm. Respectful Workplace said no one is reporting. Mm But then we don't have support when we report. Yeah. We're spoken down to and a lot of things like that. But if we can get in the habit of reporting just to bring awareness, so that is part of awareness. Mm-hmm. We have two different tiers of awareness. Awareness that where we reach out and say, you know, these are all a good face. This is what we're doing in this department. This group of nursing is working on a research and doing this for some new something within telemetry or whatever. We want the African nurses, you know, to be seen, to be heard, um, or they're experiencing this. Before we close up, I really would like to ask you, where is your level of optimism? Are we making any, I say we, I for sure can't include myself in your hard work. But are we as a society, as a profession, are we making progress? Slow, but we are making progress. Let's let's go back to what happened with George Floyd, right? Um, when it happened, it's not like it hadn't been happening, unfortunately, but because somehow the world was shut down, people were at home, people watched their TV and they saw this happen. The world was outraged, right? We had people come out, not just people that, we're supporting not just people who are African Caribbean or Black, you know, mm-hmm. but or not just uh, African Americans, but people, everybody. It didn't matter your skin color. People were out protesting. We all have a role to play, mm-hmm. and I think everybody should start talking. Don't be silent. Please don't be a standby uh, person. Be an ally. Be a true ally. Do the work. Let's do it together. In order for us to really see that change. On a systemic level, we need to see change in the structures of these systems. Yeah. We cannot have African Caribbean blackness is in front line alone because, oh, yeah, we're good at what we do. Yes, we are, but we're overqualified for leadership positions. Mm-hmm. A number of our nurses on the coalition have their bachelor's degree. They have their master's. They have their PhD. Yeah. These are nurses with extensive experience, whether it's international educated nurses that came in from their country with extremely extremely extensive background in nursing or nurses who went to school here and have extensive background as well clinically in academics and various aspects in policy making. I want to see our nurses out there. They're overqualified. 
they're applying. Don't get me wrong, they're applying. And I'll tell you this, a respondent shared with her, she said, I applied for a management position and three days before my interview, one of the panel members called me and said, hey, I know you applied to be the manager, but just so you know, there's a frontline position in the same unit. So that is not acceptable. I mean, yeah, this member was discouraged from applying for the application, which is very discouraging, but we have nurses out there that can do the work. We want to see our nurses in leadership positions. So we need to change this and that change needs to begin. Yeah. And we each have a role to play. Yeah. We each have a role. We each have a role to play. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of season two of Nurses Voices. We look forward to seeing you in future episodes. Until then, we encourage you to view previous episodes from this season and from our very first season. I'm sure you will find them interesting. You can view and listen to Nurses Voices on a variety of platforms, including YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And remember, if you want to give us any feedback, please connect with us through nursesvoices.ca and remember to sign up for our e-newsletter. Nurses Voices is sponsored by Pfizer Canada. It is created by Donner Mueller. It is produced by Sector Limited. It is supported by the Canadian Nurses Foundation and the Canadian Nurses Association. Mm-hmm.